0: Sopranos Podcast fans, we are back for Season 4. Another one. Here we go. This is Season 4, Episode 1. Rocco Mendazione. Everything comes to an end. That's a quote from Carmilla in a great scene between her and Tony to kick things off here in Season 4, Episode 1, For All Debts, Public and Private, written by David Chase and directed by Alan Coulter. Season four, interesting start here, guys. A lot going on, as usual, in a Sopranos premiere. They like to touch down on several different things in a Sopranos premiere, so it's not really your typical ABC structure. They're setting a lot of seeds. They're kind of throwing everything out there and letting them sit so that they can grow into the stories we're going to be getting over the next 13 episodes. Overall, I liked it. It's not necessarily an explosive episode from an action standpoint, but I found it quite good. I'm excited to hear your thoughts, but first, I'm Chris D'Amato.
1: I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. What do you think? For all that's public and private, initial gut reaction. Great episode to start off the season. It's got good energy. It is, notably, a little slower than I think I thought it might have been. And that's really uh, interesting. It moves at a very deliberate pace. It is not at all manic. It um, It is a little... I don't want to say off-putting. I was surprised by the approach. (laughs) The approach is very slow on the lead-in. Very thoughtful. Very evenly paced. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a thoughtful opening. Which is risky, considering that this had
0: a huge gap in between seasons three and four. It's the biggest gap yet that The Sopranos has had between seasons. And I think that this premiere might be one of the most watched episodes of the show as far as ratings are concerned. Yeah. So there was a lot of anticipation. So that said, it was an interesting note to come in on, given that.
1: Yeah, the energy is good. It's just a
2: little it's slow. Yes, uh, there's a, some hangout aspects of this episode that are fun. I didn't like it when I first watched it. This is about 20 years ago. Not that I say that I didn't like it or I didn't like this season, but it moved too slow for me. It was too methodical. It was too thinky. Uh, the characters were too passive-aggressive. And here... Uh, what's so great about talking about it with you guys is that I get to tell on myself and talk about how much I dig this season, uh, beginning with this episode, beginning with kind of a methodical vibe. I like this. It, it is different. It can be a little bit, huh, I wonder what's going on here. It moves a little slower, something deliberate in it. Again, atypical, next to other Sopranos episodes that chop up stories, you cut back and forth. Here instead, it's like, oh, Tony's hiding money, then he wanders back into the house and is saying, oh, it's Rosalie's birthday, we're going to have dinner, and then you cut to the dinner. And then the dinner doesn't ramp up a bunch of things at once, it slowly gets you back in the groove, Ralphie's here, This other stuff is going on with Adriana bringing somebody by, then in the second half the stories crystallize a bit more. So they're taking their
0: time, I think it works, uh, I had a great time rewatching it. They're stepping into the pool. They're not diving in. And that's fine. That's not a criticism. I agree. It's a very deliberately paced episode. It feels in tempo. And again, this is, when we say slow, folks, we're not, that, we're not saying that as a negative. No, no, no. Some people think, oh, that was slow as a criticism. It's not. Slow can be good if slow serves the overall function of the story, which I think it does here. But that said, yeah, we're wading into the pool. We're going to see how deep it goes. As the season goes on. But we're not diving in head first. So that's an interesting note. And I agree. And I like where we go here. Because it's a big Christopher episode. And I love Christopher. Sure. It's a big Junior episode. I like Junior. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with two of my favorite characters here. And an interesting anxiety permeating the episode and the world of the show. This is... It's important to note. We'll talk about this in just a second as we actually get into our beat-by-beat breakdown here. But this is... The first post-9-11 episode of The Sopranos. Post-9-11 season. And you feel it. Yeah. It happened in the world of The Sopranos. This is a fictional world, but it mirrors our own. And the World Trade Center attack happened. And it affected American life. It affected the American psyche. It affected our culture. It affected our art. It affected our financial institutions. And that fear is rumbling underneath all this. If you were to show The Sopranos to... Somebody in 2,000 years from now that may not know what 9-11 was entirely, it might be a little like, oh, okay, what was going on at the time? There's all this financial uncertainty. But that was a very real thing. The markets really took a hit. And American vulnerability was an idea that we weren't used to as a country, I think. Yeah. So we David had,
2: Chase uh, had already acknowledged that the show had kind of a bleak view of the human condition. And this surely deep into that and it, it is something that you feel for sure i think that it's noticeable and i think it's one of the things that makes the sopranos special as well was that unlike say the godfather or goodfellas which are both period pieces the sopranos is supposed to be happening now that's the way it was written and that's the way it was executed and uh it's another aspect that i really appreciate about this season and the show going forward is the post 9-11 world in the world view
1: it is kind of funny to think about, because when we all first watched this show, we were watching it in real time. Yeah. It was set in the present. Now when we're viewing it, it's a period piece. Yeah. 20 years out, I think, is long enough to call it a period piece. Yeah. yeah so... It's I mean, defi- it wasn't filmed as a period You know what I mean. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's no, it now inferior filmed, to us yeah, now.
0: Exactly. Yes. No. So we're looking back on it with 20 years of separation of right. time period. So it's interesting. It's fascinating on that level. If it wasn't clear from the show, let's go from... Uh, the top here, and I'm not going to start with the first scene, I'm actually going to start with the opening sequence, which we kind of take for granted, maybe some of you skip it when you watch it on your HBO app, maybe some of you watch it every time.
1: I don't trust people that skip the intro to The Sopranos. I agree. There's some shows you, you can skip, there's some
0: shows you can skip and other shows no. you don't skip.
1: You don't skip that intro. To
0: me, a no. Supra- you don't skip the Sopranos intro. I
1: don't care that there's not new information, you watch him drive home. It's a, yeah. <laughs> That's what you do.
0: Exactly, yes, I agree. I would love to see somebody. I don't know if I'm sure it's been done, actually. If I'm sure if I YouTube this, I'll see it. So, would could love thrive. to see? No, a Game of Thrones style oh. opening <laughs> for the Sopranos that we touched down on, like the Bing, Satrials. <laughs> That'd be great. Over New Jersey. I think yeah. that would be cool. If Johnny could... Sacks' house looking down on Tony's house. <laughs> yeah. If someone if someone out there can cut that together, I want to see it. But I bring up the opening sequence because it's been large. While well, I watch it every time and I never skip it because it's a perfect bring in. Mm hmm. I bring it up now because there's a difference. They took out the World Trade Center, which was featured Mm -hmm. in Tony's rearview mirror. It was a cool shot. Yeah, but that's your first signal that it's not there. It's not there anymore, and we're in contemporary times. So this is like Tony's driving home, and we're getting ready to start the show. They felt the need to go in and take that out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the show is oh again. The show's always been contemporary. Yeah. The show's always been now 1999
2: 2000. Mm -hmm. It's just that America had a different sense of now. Mm-hmm. After nine yeah. eleven, the first the first couple months of Bush's administration were dull. They were like, eh, eh. he yeah. kind he kind of got pushed into the office, and people were like dismissive of him. nine eleven That changed, yeah.
0: and so did the social landscape yeah. and everything else. So this will never happen because you know James Gandolfini's dead, and I don't think David Chase would have any interest in something like this, even if he weren't. But if we were having like a Sopranos reunion episode that happened now. They'd keep probably a lot of the same footage from the drive because a lot of that shit's still there. That big lumberjack man, pizza land, it's mm-hmm. all still there. But I bet Tony would have an easy pass instead of uh, taking a ticket. Sure. <laughs> Something interesting to think about. Yeah. But yeah, so there it is. And then we get into this Carmilla thing. She's reading the New York Times to AJ about this Italian the this, this story of Italian corruption and reading it to AJ. And then we get to our... First episode of the season trope Tony going down to get the paper, and we're greeted with this bizarre but appropriate music choice the song World Destruction. And uh, Tony picks up the paper and heads back inside. We quickly cut to a new character that we just met at the end of season three. This character, Deborah, who is posing as Danielle. She has a baby with Will Arnett, the FBI agent Will Arnett. Mm-hmm. That's the character's name. No, it's not. It's the actor. <laughs> and uh
1: before he was really doing anything. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is this is early Will Arnett, right? He's kinda of getting his career started. These are the kind of roles that uh I'm hoping to book in my career. That's where I'm at in my career, is trying to book these like smaller roles. You want to be a record.
1: boring, forgettable FBI agent. That is mm. yeah. the dream
0: of every actor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's kind of early on in his career here, and but now he's very recognizable, and it's like, oh, that's Will Arnett. He's incredibly talented. So keep your eye on these roles now, when you watch TV now, to see who's going to be doing the thing in a few years. Yeah. Their house is incredibly conservative, uh, scaled back in terms of style,
2: which is in contrast to how gauche and overdone everything is about uh deb slash danielle's whole approach her makeup and the primped hair and all that um which is which is an interesting setup to start with
0: Mm -hmm. i want to get your thoughts on the scene but just to quickly run through the events here we touched down on them quickly tony has a moment in the backyard the bushes are twitching oh my god are the ducks back are the ducks back oh it's a squirrel tony's (laughs) visibly upset and disappointed by this we go back inside. Carmela's encouraging AJ to read these papers and do his ethnicity project. It's your own people. I thought we were knobbly-dobbly or whatever. <laughs> it's a great, great line. Oh, AJ. <laughs> and I love this exchange he has with Tony. Tony says, you know, you better make a go of it at this new school. You got no idea what we had to do to get you in there. And the way he delivers that line, you're sort of like, what the fuck did they have to do to get <laughs> AJ into a semi-normal private school? And uh, I love this exchange where, hey, Jason, you know, are you passing social studies? You just reveal your own ignorance. <laughs> it's, <fun. laughs> it's been five days. We haven't got grades yet. My what? My what? I reveal my own what? And he slaps on the back of the head. I've always loved that exchange. It's very realistic kind mm-hmm. of father-teenage-son dialogue. Even, and it's like, you know, he's being a fuck, but he's also right. Like, the semester's five days in, but that is something to with like, you passing? You doing all your schoolwork there? You know, it's, it's just very funny. Very involved dad, as always. Yeah, yeah. And uh, someone's at the door. Carmella checks her hair very quickly in the microwave. Chris comes in. Interesting. No, hello, Chris from Carmela. Her first sentence is, "Where's Furio?" Mm-hmm. Something to note. A little
1: primping. Yeah, she checks herself out to like prepare for maybe Furio's coming in the door. So it yeah, looks yeah. like Carmela's got a little crush. I has got a crush. A little crushy crush. But poor. Chris. I'm sure it's hello. harmless. <laughs>
0: Don't worry about it. So any thoughts on this opening, this first uh, sequence here, the scene in the kitchen? It's a nice way to get us back into the Soprano house. No Meadow, but we feel immediately pulled back into the domestic situation,
1: don't we? We do. Uh, Carmella's reading from the paper earlier, uh, you know, something for maybe AJ's school report. This idea of recommendazione is brought up, uh, right, which is a practice that's going on in Italy, which is uh, special treatment uh, from government officials in exchange for favors, which, of course, is <laughs> Tony's business, you right. know, yeah. particularly relating to anyone that he has to bribe in any official capacity. So... Um, there's the, you know, very obvious irony there that she's bringing this up as something good for AJ to be reporting on. Right.
0: And also noticeable in an episode where Tony has dealings with Assemblyman Ron Zellman. Well, there it is, yeah. Who is mm-hmm. giving him some insider real estate tips uh, around Freeland-Heisen Avenue in Newark.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, influence peddling is not a crime. Yeah. Was the line that always stayed with me. It was like, well, the, okay, so not a technical crime, but <laughs> what what are you influencing people to do? Is that a crime? Uh, so these, these questions will permeate the episode. There's something vaguely kind of dull, actually, I think, and frustrating about these scenes. Again, I think it's absolutely conscious and deliberate. Um, Tony wanting the ducks to come back, and they don't, and then it's a squirrel, and later Tony's going to become the squirrel. Hiding his nuts, right? Yeah. Um, And, like, frantically looking around like a squirrel, like a nervous wreck. And, uh, yeah, again, I think it's a deliberate setup that is setting up this stuff and this new world that the characters live in that doesn't necessarily pay things off right away. But instead, I think there's, like, a sense of menace that's a bit more broad. Yeah. As will be reflected in um, things like our pull quote and Melfi saying things like a lot of people are feeling vulnerable. You know what that's about.
1: And, uh, you know, in kind of maybe thinking of this episode, you know, maybe not exactly parallel to, but certainly a sister episode to <laughs> Mr. Rogerio's Neighborhood, the mm-hmm. feds are back in a big way. Yeah. And there is, paranoia is really a something that is back on the show, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a huge way now. Uh, when Christopher is driving Tony, as we'll see in a moment, like, it's constantly like, yeah. I think the feds are behind us. I think the feds are behind us. You know? Yeah. Um, it's
0: not unjustified.
1: This is not a lamp in the basement. This is a legit problem. Right. Uh, we know Junior's trial is looming. Um, we got Danielle running around. Like, the feds have gone from, like, nuisance to threat. Yep. You know, in, in a in a really substantial way on the show. Yes.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's how it must be in the mob. You have these periods sure. where it's like, oh, well, I haven't Evin heard from, from the feds right? in a while.
1: Yeah. It was like, we were, like, hugely uh, dealing with the feds during the whole big pussy situation at the end of season two. Yep. And then they went away for a bit, and now they're back.
0: Yep. Yep, very funny. We're in the car, Chris is driving, he's griping, you know, it's just, I'm driving again. Tony, they're bickering, they're not in a good place. Chris is, this is like petty bickering from two people who know each other really well but don't get along right now. And a lot of that is probably still held over from the Jackie Jr. situation. Right. Chris questioned him and brought their love into question. Right. So...
1: Yeah, you get the sense they're not doing well. I loved you, past tense. Yeah. Tony hasn't gotten over that yet. Yep. Yeah.
0: But we'll get back to it. But you're right, the paranoia. He's checking He's checking the rear view. The guy, they were watching a car, but the car was turning off. And then the scene buttons with nuns. I guess it could be undercover feds. And then cut to an actual undercover fed. Yeah. Twice.
2: Yes. Yeah. He says, he says they could be undercover nuns, but they could be undercover feds, but I doubt it. I doubt. And two aspects of... There's two feminine <laughs> yeah. figures that Tony b- falls for both immediately, mm-hmm. um, and they're both a threat. Yeah. Um, also, in this scene, when I mean, this is a—it's another. This is a father-son thing. Yeah. Um, as will be evinced by what Tony is setting Chris up for in the second half, and yeah. one of the things he says, trying to again create this image, Chris immediately thinks that I'm I'm being compared all negative, but he's trying to build up to something, obviously. Total Tony-esque manipulation. He says of Dickie Multisanti, Chris's father, um, he single-handedly hunted down that New England crew, brought the war home to them up there. Uh, that's a post-9-11 thing, I think. we got to mm. bring the war to them. Mm. That's, that, that is the new heroic mm. that is part of the American consciousness, and I think it's mm-hmm. deliberate that
0: Tony sets it up. The get way. them there so they don't get us here. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a big part of the political strategy post-9-11 and the war on terror and all that happened. Very good pull, Paul. And it's important to note that this is the most we've heard about Dicky Moltisanti at this point. Chris's dad, a legend, a mentor to Tony. We're getting a sense of who he was. Just a quick note for general podcasting housekeeping purposes. Dicky Moltisanti is the main character in the Many Saints of Newark film that just came out in 2021. We are going to cover that on the show. But as far as referencing things that may have been touched upon in that film, just so you know, our audience, we're not going to go there. We are going to have a separate episode at some point specifically breaking down the many saints of newark but we're not going to go there here we're going to take the episode as is as if you were just watching through the series and in fact having now seen it i would also recommend any new fans not watch the many saints of newark before anything on the show that's just my advice or maybe ever well yeah. <laughs> we
1: can, we... <laughs> we'll get into it we'll another time. We'll, We will do have... all right
0: <laughs> But yes, yeah, so many saints of Newark we will cover at some point, but when we're talking about Dicky Moltesanti and, and that's it, this is what we're this, this is what we're talking about, just things that have been referenced on the show, and we're gonna keep it that way for now. So yeah, we're hearing about this Dicky Moltasanti, and that's obviously gonna come back later in the episode. Yeah, and so yeah, we cut back to the undercover fed. Danielle's getting her hair ready. The baby likes it. (laughs) Will said I think he likes your hair better that way. (laughs) Very cute. Very cute baby, too, by the way. I always like when babies show up in TV shows because they're cute. I love this next part, by the way. This part reminds me of my grandfather. He used to... My grandfather, as an older man, would be very flirty with pretty young women in offices. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when when he came to visit me at college any pretty girl that walked by he was like smiling at and making cute <laughs> old man comments not like creepy pervy comments but Junior flirting with this nurse is my everything it just makes me so smile <laughs> don't get started oh you want to see my finish <laughs> <laughs> Chris let me die now yeah yeah they cancel my appointment if a man can't voice to a beautiful woman the zephyrs that are blowing through his mind <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a poet, in a way, Uncle Junior. He really yes. is. He's the Shakespeare quoter when we got him. And for a guy who, dropping cunts and fucks and twats and all this shit that he drops in very funny ways, he also is quite articulate, and I love he that is. about him. But the meat of the scene is they go into this doctor's office, Dr. Shrek's office, where they have their meetings in private, and the trial's coming up. What does Junior need from Tony? He needs more money. He goes, breaks down all his expenses. Fifty grand the cocksuckers are charging for the audibility experts and some new lackey from Harvard, and all this shit racking up a million dollars for this trial. I love this. I love this. It's such a great old Italian, cheap old Italian man thing to be like. I told him, "Okay, we just have one fucking meat and All read from the same sheet of paper. Entire forest <laughs> in the northwest was to give its life for this one fucking trial." But Tony can't bend. This theme of money is coming up over and over i got i can't i got kids in private school i can't do anything junior is even a one-time hit something tony can't do it god damn it tony says get your shy running right that's what you should be concerned
1: about and he storms out thoughts on this business is tough yeah at first i was like is tony just being a dick to uncle junior and then i was like i was like well i was like he is but also i think finances are strained I think both things are true. Yeah, they are. And it's a complicated world
2: and everybody's lying. So, you know. And Tony, like, think of their problems. Their problems are not the same. Financial problems being a used up old gangster who is a cancer survivor and is about to go on trial for your life, in effect. Mm -hmm. And having two kids in private school are both problems. They're not the same problems. The second
0: problem is a nice problem to have. Now. Sure. um, I don't think Tony has a million dollars to just hand Uncle Junior, though. No, but he's not asking for a million dollars. Right, right. He's at like he, he wants a higher
1: percentage, a different arrangement. Right, there... ten points or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not 10. to mention
2: we're gonna get to this, but in every uh, but in another sequence in f- five ten minutes, he'll have a whole different theory on Uncle Junior because he's talking to a different group of people. Right. So I, I have no idea who to trust or how. I'm sure like I do think that the money problems are real, but I think that Tony also in the other storyline is
0: making everybody. Is manipulating things to make people think a certain way. So there's also something that happens in ca- catastrophic situations like 9 11 or big disasters. Thing I'm going to give a personal story from the pandemic when the pandemic first started and everything shut down and there were lines outside grocery stores. On one hand, a lot of the shit going on in the stores was scary like, oh my God, they're out of this, they're out of this. People are lined up outside the store. And it's like, oh my God, there's genuine scarcity and things are fucked up in the supply chain but at the same time my freezer was the most full it had been cuz i panic bought a bunch of shit so it was like this idea of like i actually in my actual tangible life had an abundance of food that i don't normally have in the house just in case something got fucked up and i couldn't shop or whatever but at the same time there was that that fear of like oh my god it's not enough is there so i think it's both i think tony obviously has tons of resources on hand and perhaps maybe could help junior but that fear of the underlying instability is there. Tony t- Oh, sorry. T-
2: sorry, Tony reminded me of a hit is a hit in this episode with both the squirreling the money away and when he says to very topical line at the time to Carmela we don't have those Enron type connections. Again, Tony not being liquid, not being legit is a problem. So how are you going to protect yourself? So I think those problems are real. It's just an interesting question that what Tony is trying to do is secure himself because he's not a solid member of the upper middle class, because he's not legitly he's not like legit part of that world. But he can stow the money away, even in tough times like this. So again, I think it's I as I I agree with you that I think the fears are real. Mm. I think it's a fear of a different kind. Junior Junior's life is like kind of circling the drain here, and Tony, as he says, I'm already more successful now than my uncle ever was.
1: He's trying to solidify that position.
0: Yep. Were you going to say something?
1: Well, I was just going to say, did I I maybe have the wrong interpretation on this? Like, is he purposefully withholding the money just because he wants to stick it to his uncle? No, I don't think it's malicious. I
0: don't think he actually wants to fuck Junior over financially. I think... This unease is per- about money is permeating everybody, and Tony's not showing it. Right. Well, he I mean, says to he... Melfi later in the episode, Carmella's right. Of course, I'd never tell her. Mm. You know what I mean? That's a very telling line about his psychology when it comes to the right. money issue.
1: We, I mean, he needs Junior to not be in jail. That would right? be ideal. Cause... I mean, Junior's his shield. Right. Junior's the lightning rod.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at the end, I think he, he doesn't want Junior to be... Sad,
1: right? Mm-hmm, but right.
2: He's taken the place really nice on Freeling Heisen Avenue for a new venture, like, not mm-hmm. just to help Junior out.
0: Mm.
2: You know,
0: yeah. uh, another pattern in The Sopranos of a self serving gift. Mm. We'll get there. Quick little scene here Angie Bomponcero, we haven't seen oh, yeah. in a while, uh, is giving out samples uh, at the store. Giving Carm- out the Polish sausage there. Yeah, Carmella pops behind, uh, out, sees that, and backs up. Doesn't, doesn't want to even... Polish sausage, right?
1: Yeah. yeah Not kiel, even Italian. Kielbasa, kielbasa yeah. <laughs> no nitrates.
0: Um, people are feeling vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, my next note is, Jesus, because is annoying. Oh, the dog. Because yeah. <laughs> is annoying. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so Aid, this is Danielle at home. This isn't like having a Starbucks or meeting out at the mall. They are very clearly, close friends hanging out at their home. You know, so this, the time between season three and season four has not been good on the FBI front as far as the gangsters are concerned. This is. Mm-hmm. This right. Is bad
1: at moment. least a few months have passed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I should say at least the summer has passed, I guess. Right? Yes. It's like, like four ish months, back in school, point, yeah.
0: new semester. Yeah. yeah. Chris comes home with some stolen bags, blatantly stolen bags. He's very rude to Danielle. He's clearly still feeling some kind of way about Tony, and he's craving heroin, as we'll see in short order. It's kind of rude to her. Uh, I got to get up early in the morning, no matter how much the John pays you. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, Danielle, sees the bags, picks them up. But casually, oh, where'd you get these? You said you were going to go. Go. Chris doesn't go. Doesn't doesn't take it. Adriana's like, don't listen to his bullshit. Clearly likes this girl. She leaves. You're so fucking rude. <laughs> Chris is getting ready to shoot heroin in his foot. Talking about how dependable he is, and when have I ever not been there hundred percent? And mm-hmm. ever since I questioned him on some Jackie Junior shit, like he's Pope Tony, I feel like he's infallible, Pope Tony the <laughs> Third. But yeah, Chris is. Uh, and she she makes she has a line. I'm not doing it every fucking day now. So Chris is doing it every day. He's hiding it, and he says, "I've got it under control." Right. Is anyone skeptical of that? Oh, yeah. Well, clearly, he does not have it under control. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Obviously. Yeah. Mm. And this is not the first time we've been hinted at that Chris has a serious drug problem. Yes. Yeah.
0: But not good. Not good, folks. Cue the Dean Martin. My Rifle, Pony, and Me, as Tony finishes up his Sunday. Looks great, by the way. That looked like a very... Yeah. Yeah, Did anyone
1: note that transition shop, by the way, between... I think it's, um... I I might have the shock composition a little bit wrong, um, but I think think it's Chris shoots the heroin between his toes, and it goes right over to Tony, I think, using a whipped cream canister on top of his ice cream. Yeah, Yeah. nice. And I'm like, oh, these are, we're we're depressed. We're doing drugs, and we're eating ourselves to death. You know what I mean? We're just letting our, I don't know, sort of like our indulgences and addictions take Mm. over. I know it's really rough to compare just something innocent like ice cream to heroin, but both things are bad.
2: Yeah, well, is the, that's a really good point, Jordan, is that's the other, like, the emotional end of, like, treating this anxiety. Because on the other end, what we were talking about a minute ago is how do we deal with complicated financial questions in this moment that we're feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then on this end, it's the... Con- uh, the consolation of a Sunday, right? Or the consolation of a fucking shooting horse, right? Um, and the name of the song is "My Rifle, My Pony, and Me." Yeah. yeah. And
1: so I don't mean to demonize ice cream. I just mean to say, like they're they're doing the same thing. Yeah, Chris and Tony.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm a heavy guy. I dampen emotions with food. It's a problem I've had my entire life. Right. Something I still work on to this day. You know, for some That's people, real. it's uh, you have a scotch. You know, for yeah. some people, it's uh, you just smoke a cigar. You know, whatever. Yeah. Tony.
2: Tony's evidently aware of at least some of it because when Carmella asks
1: and we have this conversation that's his first guess mm-hmm. about his weight. Yeah. You're right? worried oh, about you about my weight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also does like that thing where like when he's in Junior's doctor's office he like steps on the scale right away. So mm-hmm. this is becoming a pressing issue for him and I'm not poking fun I swear to God James Gandolfini is looking a little heavier than he has in yeah, oh previous yeah. seasons. For sure, right? So I mean, he came back this season a little bigger. Who cares? But yeah. it is the thing and they used it in the show, yeah. which is good. It's yeah. a,
0: good, a good thing to do, I think. It's real. It feels real. Even a gangster. And this isn't uh, those little things the show gets right. It's like Of course he's worried about his weight. Everyone who starts getting heavier starts worrying about their weight. It's All just right. you know, it's it's great. Carmella wants to talk Following the Angie spotting, wants to turn off the TV. Tony says, "Lower it." He doesn't want to give her signal. I don't want to give you my full attention. I but fucking I'll, hate when he says that. I know. I'll listen. And it's those little things that probably that, that drive your spouse nuts when yeah. you, they want to feel like at least you're giving them their full attention when they want it. And I get Tony stressed, but even he notices how childish she sounds when he's yelling at her and just stops mid sentence <laughs> and. She's talking about estate planning. What happens if you die, Tony? What What is the plan? Tony gives her the I provide, don't I? You're, you'll know this. You'll know the account numbers for our money in the Caymans, or for you know our money in overseas accounts when the time comes. And she talks about her cousin Brian Camerata, who wants to who talked about starting a trust. And Tony is just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The vibe of Tony, the, the shorthand of what Tony is saying is. You're overstepping here. I got it. I'm providing. You don't need to worry about this shit. He wants to, her to be the, the classic housewife and just not question where the money's coming from. But Carmella's feeling this anxiety too, and she she's not unjustified, as we find out later. Even Tony acknowledges that she's not entirely wrong by being concerned about this. There's no money in this house. Check the vents. Which remains true. <laughs> and then she drops this ominous line at the end that we used for our, pro, our pull quote.
1: Everything comes to an end. Thoughts on this scene? is being practical. Um, she's probably thinking back to some things that happened last season. You know, this is a season opener, so that means we're coming in with all of the accumulated knowledge of the previous season. She's met with Krakauer. She met with that priest who basically told her, like, listen, you're in this situation. You're earning this money in a way that is not honest. Try to make a good life with dishonest money. I think she's trying to do that, at Mm -hmm. least in some part. Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's a couple things. One is,
2: i got to talk about Rio Bravo. Um, Rio Bravo is the movie that Tony's watching at the beginning.
1: Right, which I don't know at all, yeah.
2: A great old western, some people call it one of the first, quote, hangout movies, where the characters just kind of hang out, and that's how you get to know them. Mm. Here's what's fun about Rio Bravo historically. Rio Bravo came out in the late 50s. It was made as a direct response to High Noon which came out in the early 50s. High Noon is the movie that people most associate Gary Cooper with. It was late in his career, um, was a big, huge hit. It was a different kind of Western at the time, and among the many things about it, it was a bit of a different Western in depicting the town as corrupt, as opposed to just the bad guys as corrupt. Gary Cooper goes around the town asking for people to help him fight the bad guys, and nobody will. Howard Hawks and John Wayne, sort of reactionary in their... Outlook on this thought that that's not what a a real man should do. A real man should just do his duty. So, in Rio Bravo, the good guys don't ask for any help. They just hang out and wait (laughs) for the bad guys to show up. Also in High Noon, horrible thing. Heaven for Fenn, Sorry, these reactionary guys were kind of misogynistic dicks. Um, Grace Kelly shoots one of the bad guys in High Noon. The wife, the blonde woman, helps out the good guy and fires a gun. Uh, So these guys couldn't handle it. It was way too... Uh, kooky for them to have a woman be a hero. So, again, they pulled that back. Angie Dickinson, who Junior loves, um, (laughs) kind of made her bones as a star. Beautiful woman. As John Wayne's love interest, she does not fire a gun in Rio Bravo. Sure enough, here's Tony having a Sunday, and Carmella, his blonde wife, is interrupting his hangout and saying, I want to play a part in this. And saying, I want to be in the know. This... Season is really, it seems a lot of it is about money, which is obviously fair. This scene about money in some way really seems to be about communication. Like, you got to let me in so that, as Jordan was saying, she can be a part of this in some meaningful
0: way. Wonderfully said, Paul. Do you see, folks, the level of thought that goes into a choice to have Rio Bravo on the TV? It could have been anything. It could have been one of his history documentaries. But in that one choice, they connect to Chris's heroine with the pony and the horse connection there. You got Dean Martin singing (laughs) the song, Italian, Dean Martin, whatever. And then all those other things. Angie Dickinson, uh, the Gary Cooper connection with High Noon. All of that is baked into this one simple choice, and it's so good. Yeah. Thank you for that, Paul. Appreciate it. We continue. Tony is going to meet with the Capos in the back of the Bing, or some kind of adjacent building. I I love this scene. (laughs) This is our once per season Georgie beatdown. Uh, yeah, Jesus, this <laughs> fucking guy can't catch a break. He's so dumb. You've got to feel bad for him. This was not anything malicious on George's part. He wasn't sassing Tony. He's just too dumb to realize that he was about to get his ass kicked. And Sylvia, I love when Sil- I love the moment yeah. when Silvio knows Tony is going right. to lose it. Georgie, be quiet. And they start walking away. Just ice tone. It dilutes the drinks. <laughs> Especially scotch.
1: Beats him with the fucking bucket. Oh, my God. And the what shit it. Waste it, it all, fucking John D. Rockefeller. <laughs> Waste it all.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's sad, but it's funny. It's just, that's dark comedy. Georgie, folks. be quiet. Yeah, yeah, it's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Conserve. Know. Conserve. Yeah
0: great so he goes to this back building this back area here that we've never seen before and we have an attendance ralph cifaretto capo top earner looking great mm-hmm. he stepped he was already well coiffed this is a step up he's been making more money he's you know dressing a certain kind of way the white suit the he, he just looked he looked fucking great i wanted that outfit you got alley boy albert uh Albert Barisi, Larry Boy's uh, brother, the guy who repeats himself several times in some of the seasons past, or repeats the things that other characters say to him. Paulie called him a parakeet, I think. Uh, you have Ray Curto, who is one of the original five captains that we meet in season one, who has, don't forget, they never touch on it, but is, is technically an FBI snitch. Right. And we can assume his viewers may or may not be wearing a wire at any time. Correct. You have to at least assume it's possible. And a, a character I don't believe we've seen on the show at this point until now, Carlo Gervasi, who is the other guy sitting there. That I have not, no idea who this is. Yeah. yeah, he's a new new character that we've just seen, but he's has a quote top tier position, so he right. must be a capo.
1: The show does this periodically, and by now we kind of ignore it. Right. We're just kind of like, yeah, yeah. it's another guy. You see this guy pop
0: up here and there, and and you know, it's just, he's there. He's one of the captains now. Tony's uh, chewing them out. This is a classic boss ass-chewing, right? This is, where's the fucking money? Why is there zero growth in this family's receipts? I don't want to hear about the fucking economy. He has Silvio, break it down. What two businesses are recession-proof? Since time immemorial, certain aspects of show business and our thing. Tony says it's a pyramid, calls out Ali, some kind of deal. That guy, that died on the vine It peed it out. Tony's pissed here, and he reminds them of their, quote, duty to that man. I shouldn't have to come here, hat in him. My uncle, the boss of his family, is on trial for his life, and what you people are kicking up to him is a fucking disgrace. I shouldn't have to come in here, hat in hand, reminding you about your duty to that man. Thoughts
1: on this? It's so different what he communicates to Junior and then what he says to everybody else. I Why is that? I don't really know. And
2: it's different than the tone he had with Carmella. Right. With Carmella, he's trying to calm her down. Here, it seems like, from the business standpoint, he needs these guys. Maybe Ralphie is a funny mm-hmm. exception to this, but for the most part, they need to pick it up somehow. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know. Yeah, for all t- debts, public and private. There's private dealings, there's public dealings. What are you doing with this money that you have to show people? What are you showing versus what you're keeping private? Right. I, I think it's all part of the theme there that he just has to... He has to Put on airs for whoever he's talking to and cater to mm-hmm. and, and make that determination.
1: I think there's a little bit of an assumption, at least there was for me, that maybe they're all being little squirrels in a way. Mm. That they're all scared of the times and they're not kicking up the extra money they have that they normally would and they're, mm. they're making Very plans astute. for themselves. And I love I, that. I think that's part of why Tony's starting to shake their trees and be like, I know there's fucking money somewhere, where is it? You yes. guys are starting to hide yours too, that's yep. the problem. Go out there, crack some fucking heads, create some fucking earners out there. All that means generally
0: though, like you know, is I better start seeing thicker envelopes. That's right. the message here to the to the to the boys. Yeah. I don't care where the fuck you get it, those envelopes gotta start fattening up. Yeah, I mean what you tell people in this world in particular in the Sopranos is often, if not
2: always, self serving so it seems are the delusions. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not an expert. I doubt there's any evidence that the mafia is recession proof. I don't think that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's true that the entertainment industry is either. <laughs> so I just, but I do think that's what you'd tell them if you're trying to buck them up. Yep. And you're just you're saying to them, "I better see fatter envelopes." Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. There's no excuse for this that you're going to give me that I will accept. Is this is the mm-hmm. is the meaning of that? Frankly, I'm depressed and ashamed going back to. <laughs> A bit much, Yeah. <laughs> is that what your coach laid out for you as a training breakfast? <laughs> as AJ goes to a get pizza, pizza, pizza slice. Which so looks,
2: funny. looks great. The look it. that AJ gives him. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is funny, but it also made me a little sad because it did bring me back to the time Tony excoriated AJ for the way he was eating. That was a cold pasta, back, I think. Right? But yeah. then came back with his apology with a full pizza. pizza. So I just... Maybe it was an accident or whatever just a, meant to be a funny beat but it reminded me of that and i got a little sad about that but also funny meadow first sign of meadow this season she's sleeping late and missing sunday dinner she had to be somewhere that night Carmela, didn't you have to get up and register for classes and she says something to the effect of ad drop goes on for another three weeks so she's putting
1: something off there everyone is so mean to Carmela. No one gives this woman the fucking time of day, really. Yeah. It really is terrible.
0: Yeah, it's sad if you think about it too long. It, you, know,
1: you know. She gets it
0: for her kids. Well, you know, her kids. Carmella's are...
1: trying to help AJ with his report. He could be less interested. Yeah. She's trying to get Meadow to register for classes. Meadow basically tells her to go fuck herself. She tries to tell Tony she's worried about money. Money, you know, Tony would rather watch the television. If you're Carmella, you're ready to be like, these fucking people suck. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is sad, and
0: she's also being lied to by Tony, as we find out one beat later, when he hides a shitload of cash, takes it from his car. Certainly more, I mean, I don't know, maybe it is maybe it is less cash than he's used to handling, but it's certainly a lot more than I've ever fucking seen in one place. Takes out a bag full of cash, he's got a little stowaway, not a vent, out in the cabana, <laughs> under one of the floor tiles. <laughs> Pops, pops the bag guy He's got a bunch of money out
1: Right. There. But again, this is not like a joyful hoarding of money. He's scared. He's squirreling. He's squirreling. He's scared. Swirling. He's swirling. He's scared. Yeah. yeah. He seems... He's looking around constantly. Mm-hmm. He's trying to... Is this hidden enough? You know, he's... This is not like he's trying to hide his riches. This is like... Yep. Shit's fucked up right now. I, I gotta take care of me and mine. Yep.
0: Yep. He, yeah, and he's guarded. What are you gonna lay out today, Dad? Too cold. Yeah. yeah. Ro and Ralphie are coming over for Sunday dinner. I love this exchange. Just because it again it strikes you as very genuine and real and and when Tony says, "I thought we worked worked that out months ago, and she says, "Well, I asked you if you wanted them to, to come to <laughs> dinner, and your response was, mm. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right yeah, very funny, so they're coming, and we get this Sunday dinner scene. I always love a good Sunday dinner scene on the sopranos. This In one years. is complete murder, yeah.
2: It's a little, it
0: starts off slow,
2: but it is really funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ralph was talking about (laughs) Porsches and Boxsters, and uh, he he starts telling this story about this guy he drove up next to and looked at, and he looks over and he's got this big Jew grin, and he catches himself to this AJ's friend who came over for Sunday. You're not Jewish, are you? Half. Anyway, he knows it's all in good fun.
1: <laughs>
0: Keeps going. It's just very funny. Ralphie in top form here. Peak Ralphie. And Janice couldn't be more fucking obvious. How gross. Ro is sitting right there, albeit very clearly doped up. She's got this kind of stupid half-grin. Right. Rosalie. It's very sad. And they mention, I think, later in the scene that she's they got her on some kind of meds. Of course. After. Of course. It's amazing. She's not shooting heroin into her foot with what she's been through. And, uh, yeah, Janice is just, like, laughing extra hard at all of Ralphie's jokes and patting him on the arm, and she's just so disgusting. And then everybody gets up, you need help? As she's pouring more wine, she has no intention of getting up. She just had to make the illusion of offering to help. (laughs) And poor Hugh, (laughs) He, he talks about the Vincent Black Shadow uh, his motorcycle. He wants to get in a little bit on the conversation, and God, his wife can will never miss an opportunity to emasculate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hoods used to drive that. They beat you up that time out <laughs> City Island. City Island. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even stationed someplace oh. cool during the war. Yeah. Nova Scotia. Stationed in Nova Scotia. I already told you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's repeating himself, and thats so fucking funny. And that's intricate with a scene with, um, it's Ralphie and Janice in the bathroom, right? Yeah, Ralphie goes up to do a little coke, and
0: Janice gets up there. Ralphie wasn't going to let her in at first. There's a bathroom downstairs, but Janice knows something's going on in there besides number one or number two. This is number three. And <laughs> she comes in, They they do some coke together,
1: and gross. And it's clear they've been intimate.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is an ongoing so this, this thing. this is an ongoing thing. She was sitting on his lap yeah. during Jackie's funeral, excuse me, Jackie's funeral, and that was at least a summer ago in the time of right. we the show. But, so.
1: I, but it was not obvious yet that that was happening, right? right. It was, Well, like, it's implied like implied something's going on. It's happening soon. Yeah. But now exactly. we're seeing them snort coke together right, right, right. and, yeah. Yeah, and
2: yeah. get frisky in the bathroom. And reference uh, Bartleby the Scrivener. Right?
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> not the last Millville reference.
0: And... Danielle comes over. Uh, Adriana brings Danielle... To the Soprano to house. To the Soprano house, and Tony likes what he sees. And of course. Right away, smile. And she's looking around at all the stuff. You know, she's very curious. Where are you from, Whippany? It's a perfect location, by the way, because it's like near enough that it's viable, but it's far enough away that you wouldn't go... You wouldn't casually drive through Whippany to check up on somebody. It's like kind of... Little bit out in in midwestern Jersey, it's yeah. but it's but it's like within it's under an hour of North Caldwell, but it's mm-hmm. not like right on right in their backyard. Somewhere they would know real easily. It's a good good location pick. With this and what's going on with Janet, <clears throat> excuse me, Janice
2: and Ralphie in particular, maybe this adds to the sense of menace. Unapologetically, this sequence is, and a lot of stuff in this episode is focusing on forwards and things that are going to be taking place. Not all in this episode, but throughout say, part of the season. So you can take your time with it. Yeah. Um, it's enough that we just kind of maybe dip... Well, as you said, dip our foot in the pool.
0: Yeah. Right? We continue. Tony is buying a shitload of cracked corn bird feed from this <laughs> There's pet There's a lot of cracked corn. <laughs> <star. Yeah. laughs> well, I'll be ready for next season. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in the Red Suburban. I'll be at Italianissimo. And heads over there to meet Assemblyman Zelman, who we met in Season 3 briefly. This guy's such a scumbag.
1: Oh, yeah. He well, really he's is. your, he's your pro- crooked politician. Perfectly
0: cast. Perfectly cast. Loved him from last
2: season, sure. I love that the name of the place is Italian Isimo. Yeah. If mm-hmm. people don't know, isimo is a suffix in the Italian language that means, like, very or remarkably. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that woman is very beautiful. Bellissima, as opposed mm. to bella. Um, so this place is not just Italian, it's quite Italian. It's so Italian that the font is exactly the same as the wild bird feed place. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, this would be how Jersey would hide a treasure of an Italian restaurant, just put it in a strip mall. Yes. Um, <laughs>
0: so, yeah, and then they have the
2: meeting inside.
0: Yep. And to put a quick recap on the substance of the meeting, he's helping Tony. He, he's mentioning that there's going to be an Omni Hotel in the uh, Riverfront Esplanade that's going to add all kinds of shops and cool shit there, and also some redevelopment happening along Freeling Heights Avenue, mentioning to Tony that, hey, even I'm going to be picking up some stuff uh, through a shell company. He's got it all figured out. He's got ways to benefit from his knowledge that he gains as an assemblyman Mm -hmm. to benefit himself. But this is fiction. I'm sure nothing like that happens in the real world ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tony laments that his father wasn't able to get in on Tribeca. Tribeca was happening. Yep,
0: now it's Tribeca. And Tony mentions that Junior has some property along Freeland Heisen Avenue. Interesting. Opportunity has just come up. Who's gonna quibble with patriotic entrepreneurism? Yeah. (laughs) I remember you (laughs) Junior was at the singing, back at it again, charming as ever. I find it charming. I don't know. I wonder when the Sopranos podcast
2: is going to take another bella giornata to the it's city called Atlanta.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> the nurse mentions this is her last day. Junior's saddened by that. She's going back to school. Interesting. We see this character, Murph. We're going to get a little bit more of him later in the episode. He seems to be handling a lot of Junior's... Old old man Murph. Old man Murph. Love his voice, love his mustache, and sometimes he's got food on the front of his shirt, the poor bastard.
1: (laughs) When Junior was the real boss of the family, or sorry, when he was almost the real boss of the family, Murph reminds me of like one of those guys that'd be sitting in that old diner with him. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think he was actually there, but it it was like, he's someone who's like, a relic from the old days that was probably hot in Junior's time, but now it's not, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yes, you're completely correct with that vibe. Yeah. They decide they're going to move Bobby up. I like when Junior finds, picks his little moments to assert the idea that he's somehow still the boss of the family. I wasn't asking, I was telling. But Tony agrees, so it's going to happen anyway. It's not going to be a fight. They decide to bring him in. Speaking of weight loss, and again, they're going to deal with this in the scene at the diner shortly, but... Bobby, we mentioned, has a, a. they put a fat pack on him for season two. He's actually fatter than he originally was. He's a heavier guy, Steve Sharipa, a yeah, thicker sure. guy. I'm sure he'd agree. And they've removed it now. He no longer has a fat pack. So he's looking slimmer to the fans at the same time Tony's gaining weight. So they bring him in. I love this shot of the doctor in his own office. And they kind of give like an annoyed look like, what the fuck are <laughs> yeah. you doing? Door shut. You know, this isn't his office while they're there. Although that's going to get turned around very soon. Yeah. And Tony is putting the money in the bird feed. This is why he was getting the bird feed. Yeah, maybe he was hoping for some ducks. But this was the real purpose. He, didn't, he, he wasn't wild about that cabana hiding place. He wanted to get it somewhere else. Yeah. So he puts it somewhere... Carmella or the kids wouldn't step on a loose tile and maybe accidentally figure it out. Carmella's not going to go anywhere near the bird feed, right? So he stuffs it in there, locks it in this container out there. you got to lock it up so you don't attract other animals. And uh, turns and Carmella's right there. Oh, bring! what's going on here? A little late in the season for ducks. Well, the ducks up in Canada. This is the south to the <laughs> south to them. Which is, it's dumb, but it's also not... i buy it as an answer that might satisfy
1: she has no reason to investigate that correct yeah exactly it's like like, all right whatever the fuck who cares yeah Yeah.
0: she's like she's not gonna be like where did you hear that
1: but if i didn't know (laughs) where this season goes i would wonder
2: is at some point is she going to question that Mm -hmm. but i guess it wouldn't be right now
0: you know right but interesting little scene so tony's still being squirrely with his money then we get an interesting touchdown paul he's in jail we, yeah. didn't, we didn't see what happened, but he's wearing orange, and he beats this other inmate to the phone. He is running this facility, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, He's he's got this place on lock. He's got his his channel up, he gets to the phone first, and the other guy just has to cower off. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I read in real life, uh, the actor playing Pauly, Tony Sirocco, it, Sirico, rather, Um did he break his back? He had a back injury that needed surgery. And David Chase needed to find a way to not write him out of the early part but of the season, the but to limit the amount like, of days he was Yeah, surgery. yeah, yeah. So, but this is a good, this is very believable, natural storyline. Makes sense.
0: These guys are in and out of the can all the time on on, on shit like this. And right. The story he gives Johnny Sack, honestly, it makes sense. It's you don't and you don't feel you don't feel gypped for having missed Paulie's arrest. It's like, oh, he got pulled over with a gun that under under the seat, so. They have deniability about who in the car owned it and it was used in some unsolved murder. He probably bought it out of somebody's fucking trunk or, you know, maybe it wasn't his gun. It might have been someone else in the
1: car. I I love how unfazed Paulie is by being in prison. Like, (laughs) it's really just like, I've been here a million times. Fuck it. Whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, in the Sopranos world, we don't know that much about Paulie's storyline other than that he spent time in the military and he spent time in prison. Yeah. And he's kind of fine with those things. (laughs) Yep. He's used to that
0: government structure in his life he can handle it he's he's he is the guy who claimed he could do a couple thousand years (laughs) in in purgatory standing on his head like a couple of days (laughs) and he'd probably have purgatory running the same way he had his prison running don't touch that (laughs) my program's coming on (laughs) but he has an interesting conversation with johnny sack here first of all they're still talking so that tease at the end of season three is starting to bear fruit Johnny, I like when Pauly starts chatting just a little bit too much, and Johnny just goes, "Doesn't matter." And Paul, Pauly like, gets, gets to the point basically, and yeah, he's just catching Johnny up on things. And this friend, this is a now a friendship. And call me cynical, I think Johnny knows that Paulie's a guy who likes to talk, and yep. I think this is uh, an avenue of inside information for him here. Stick your beak in without sticking your beak in. Yes, exactly. Very. I mean, he's 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 cunning, Johnny Sack. He's, uh, you know, this is interesting. This is we're gonna see where this goes, but uh, Paulie is not going away. He's just gonna be in this prison for 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 now, and uh, says, "Don't let me rot in here, John." So they're gonna be talking again.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's it's a nice structure because it lets us know the competency of Johnny Sack as well. Like Johnny yeah. Sack's guys, like he's very good at his job. Yeah.
0: Listen, you want to be toward the top of the hierarchy in a five-families family, a New York mob family with hundreds of people, you got to know your shit. He's, he's, he's savvy, no no doubt about it. But it's fun watching him work Paulie and Paulie not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Paulie just thinks he's got a friend here. We'll see how that all plays out. Then we're celebrating the news of just more fucking hundreds of millions of dollars. These guys are going to rake in from the Esplanade Project. Mm. Tony's meeting with Carmine. Got a bunch of guys there: Ralph, Furio, Christopher.
2: Again, probably nice problems to have. Yeah. As compared to Junior,
0: when sure. he calls Carmella, he says, "I gotta work tonight." Hmm. <laughs> Looks like really hard work. Um, yeah. And of course, I, that's uh, speaking again to the sadness and loneliness of Carmella. That moment after the call, when you know she blows the kiss, but then she just turns off all the burners. And...
1: Right, because no one's gonna appreciate this probably beautiful dinner she's I making. Know. So it's, forget it's,
0: it. Oh, I hate when Carmela's delicious-looking food doesn't get. Nothing will ever be as bad as her throwing out that delicious pasta outside of in Fon the garbage Kills can. Church. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> we've never recovered. <laughs> I still think about that. And uh, yeah, so the girls from Iceland. Oh, the girls from Icelandic air. Are these what's the deal here? Are these flight attendants or
1: is what is this? <laughs> you know i had a moment to (laughs) contemplate the ridiculousness of this i was like i don't i mean i think they do work for the airline yeah that's really funny then i i I, yeah yeah
0: yeah why not because there
1: would be the gimmick is too silly otherwise right it's like ah this service provides call girls who are authentically from you know (laughs) scandinavia Who dresses flight... No, they're flight attendants. They want a party. That's really funny. I love that.
2: They seem to actually really kind of like the dumb dad joke that he does.
1: Yep. I do do think it's
0: kind of funny. You do it, you'll
1: clean it up. (laughs) Rick gimmick. And, (laughs) And, you know, obviously, Tony's not done playing around. Right. Still likes fucking around. Yep. Always, you know, yeah. They all like fucking around. (sighs) This next exchange just
0: kills me. Carmine and Tony, they're saying their goodbyes, whatever, they're you know, calling it a night. And Carmen says, oh, one other thing. John went to a cookout at your house. Don doesn't wear shorts. And <laughs> <laughs> just walks out leaving Tony. like, what And the... Johnny Sack gives Tony a look like, oh,
2: might have kept him out too late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of getting squirrely. It's so funny. I think the origin of that, maybe I'm wrong, and one of our fans can write me and correct me if I am. But I think the reason that line was put in is somebody... Involved in the mob, must like told David Chase that about Tony. Like, oh, Don doesn't wear shorts. Somebody told him that, and he's like, "What's that's?" Yeah, so he's like, "Well, let's put it in the show that Carmine would tell Tony that." It's just a weird, funny little moment. Yeah, know,
2: t- whenever Gandolfini does like a nonplussed reaction, yeah, it's always funny. <laughs> like, what?
0: <laughs> a lot of it seems to come from Carmine's comments, by the way. This is second. <laughs> big yeah. time we've seen him where he said something that has put Tony off like what? no what? <laughs> Caesar was epileptic yeah <laughs> I'm not an epileptic <laughs> so the fact that we've kind of come to the reasonable agreement that these are real flight attendants it's kind of outrageous what this suite has turned mm, into you know like, somehow drugs right. and lesbian shows like Tony is watching the, this lesbian show <laughs> in the dark Chris is doing fucking smoking heroin in the bathroom uh maybe it's crack i i don't know what that it was some white substance that he put into a joint chris doing drugs chris doing drugs we've seen it twice already in this episode and we're just getting started here
2: i mean and now it's at a it is at a i mean i guess it's a party but yeah this is a work thing tony's in the next room yeah
0: yeah it's risky I don't know, man. risky here and tony You know, Chris gave us talk about when have I ever not been there for him a hundred percent? And now Tony is about to take him on a job, and he's thankfully he didn't get too far into that joint before Tony knocked. Yeah. But he's got to be feeling it a little bit. They go. uh, Love the shot of Ralph nude with the fez. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just a very funny (laughs) shot. You know, his night ended a long time ago. Murph tries to sneak out on Junior while he's kind of dozed watching tv where are you going phone rings (laughs) murph picks up i love murph's voice this makes me smile hello (laughs) (laughs) and i love that he's slow to come out with the information which frustrates junior what the fuck is this mother may i come on what is it (laughs) and boom the flirty nurse I pieced it together right away. They do They do clarify it later on. I did court. not. But it's like, Dr. Shrek had a plant in the office, an FBI agent who's been pulled to testify at your trial. Yeah, and I just, didn't see it going. Junior just sits back resigned like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Just what he needed right now is he's about to drop a million dollars into an already challenging case. Somebody who was right there. Boom, not good. Cut to the outside of Hooters where a retirement party is being had. Barry Haydew, uh detective lieutenant from the Clifton PD. Clifton. This, this is such a weird story. Clifton, which is where I am from. Clifton PD. And the story goes that Dickie Moltisanti was killed by this guy at behest of a man named Jilly Ruffalo, who Dicky Moltisanti stabbed in the eye after a scuffle between Jilly Ruffalo and Dickie's cellmate. Loyal, your old man. Stabbed him in the eye so bad he
1: couldn't be fitted for a glass
0: one. Correct. And he was getting into the house. Chris thought it was, what was it? It ended up being TV trays. but uh, Not a crib, yeah. Not a crib, not a crib, but TV tray. And this is like gangland legend kind of stuff. The story of Dickie Moltisanti. It's not clear maybe exactly who happened, what happened, who did it, what the circumstances of it were. But Tony's telling him, this is the guy who killed your dad. You why. Know. Here's, well, here's how it happened. Here's the info. And Chris is like, what? That's him with the sombrero?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a little meh on this storyline. Um, not because it's, like, poorly written or anything like that. I'm just, I, I don't, I'm not, um, I'm not caught up to Tony into what he's doing here. You know what I mean? I'm like, we're going to get insight
0: on it very shortly in our first therapy scene of season three. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Where he talks about his process of ingratiating Christopher to him. Mm-hmm. The question, really, the mystery. So it's Tony's motivation for doing this is pretty clear to me. He wants to cement Chris's loyalty. I think why the, this cop. Like, I think what, the I know, think that. the mystery that is left is is this actually the guy who did it, or just Tony just want to dispose of some guy who's lost his usefulness and and what is and well, you guys already know what is Chris's
2: insight on that question, right? Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. When he he's challenged,
0: it wouldn't matter. And I was like,
2: "Oh, I, I still kind of am blown away by that line," um, but I guess it's true technically. Right. I, I, it's hard to me, uh, for me to imagine making a piece with that. But
0: it's mm. mm. interesting. Tony gets out, gets in the car with Bobby, and I just wrote, "Is this a ploy? What is going on here?" You know, we're gonna find out more shortly. But here's the
2: other thing about it. I think is that. I mean, I I guess I still don't know. I do know that I can see the power in it for a number of reasons. One is, looking at this scene, like, Chris didn't really know his father. He was Mm. a little baby when he was killed. Tony is a surrogate father figure in a way. And recently, I think their argument has been like that between a father and a son. For sure. And a lot of it is, I think... Kind of between a willful kid, like maybe an angry teenager, not unlike AJ, and their adult parent. Hmm. In this scene, if you watch what Imperioli's doing, he becomes a little boy. Mm-hmm. He becomes wide eyed. Yeah. And um, engaged in a whole different way. So. Yeah, it's hit him on a very primal level. And it does seem to reflect what Tony says in therapy later on that what I'm enacting here makes this kid connected to me mm-hmm. forever yeah it's like I, said, I don't want to be wishy-washy on what Jordan is putting up, putting up for us here but i don't know whether or not this guy really killed Chris's dad i don't feel good watching this <laughs> no, no. and <laughs> no, not, not just cuz a guy is is executed but yeah. It's doesn't. It's not making Chris whole. It's not making Tony whole. No. It's the execution of a manipulated plan.
1: Yeah, yeah, it just felt it felt off to me. You know, mm. not in a way where I felt like the writing was bad or the show was bad at all. I was just like, I'm behind here. I don't really know what's happening. You know? Yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't feel good.
2: I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm behind. Right. Right. I understand
1: what he says in therapy. I get that he needs to bring Chris in fully. I just am like. Why this guy then? This seems like an odd choice. It feels kind of, just kind of pushed in there. It's fine, you know, but it's, it's odd. Mm. I thought the wake-up shot was cool. Chris bashes him on the back of the head. I
0: really like that. Sure. Kind of blurry camera angled sitting up. You really felt like that's what it would feel. You hear the TV before you see anything and kind of brought into focus. What is this? She cleaned out. Rough divorce. She must be a real vile twat. Hope she didn't <laughs> pass it on to your daughter. Taunting him. Is this part of it, too,
2: that ultimately this is disappointing? The guy's a fucking loser? Yeah. As Chris says, he
0: finds the 20. Fucking loser. Oh, yeah. It's like the
2: place isn't cool. It's the... If
0: Dicky Moltisanti is half the legend Tony makes him out to be, and at this point in the show, they blow up the past in a way that is inflated and not accurate most of the time. So who knows? But this legendary Dickie Moltisanti, killed by this schmuck... This crooked cop, this degenerate gambler who, not all that far off from Vin McKazian. Sure. Who who he saw Mm -hmm. meet his tragic demise and and also trouble with on the home front. You know, very evocative. This is the kind of cop the mob does business with.
1: Right. This is also a little bit of that anti-cinema that we have going on, right? Like, Chris had always envisioned, like, thinking back to, um, you know, uh, fortunate son right in yeah. in the previous season right yeah. like he, he had built up being made in his mind mm-hmm. as like this huge deal but ultimately it was in like a dingy basement with like you know dimmer lights and like tony just kind of saying some words that took a few minutes and mm. he didn't really enjoy it it was kind of like scuzzy yeah right it was kind of like not all it was cracked up to be like their italy trip Exactly, like, exactly yeah, exac- yeah, exac- like, yeah, yeah. exactly right and now here it is in the film, like, you avenge your father's murder. Finally, you confront the person that, you know, ruined your life and your prospects. And it's just like, yeah, it's some fucking cop. He sucks. And you, you know? don't even know for sure. You don't really know for sure if it's him. Yeah, like, yeah. whatever. He you finds a swordfish Right. On his wall Yeah, right. you mm-hmm. find 20 bucks. Like, it's like, oh, man, that's like, this is not what I wanted. I wanted romance. I wanted the movies. Yeah. Quick note on that. I think
2: that's a great uh, dissection of that. But I will say, also, another aspect of this murder... I'm not sure exactly how deliberate this is, but again, showing Chris's development. Chris kills somebody in the very first episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the big murder that we get in that one episode, and there's all kinds of problems with it. Big Pussy has to help him out. There's, there, He's got a couple of goofy lines in this one. I don't think there's any bullshit in this. Nope. He stages it as a suicide. He knows to use a cloth so his fingerprints don't get on the wallet. Yep. Cold killer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All these guys have a knack. Chris's is that—I mean, weirdly, even though he's a very young guy, Chris's knack is that he's a very good killer. He's a good shot. He's good at killing I was people. Say
0: he's a dead shot. Yeah. Shooting that nose off the fish. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Chris. Is I, a would crack say, shot I would say I would say that weird. was
0: an excellent. I would say that was a lucky shot. Had he not also been the one to hit Mikey Palmisi when he yes, was running yes. through the woods, had he not also been the one to shoot Matt uh, uh, Sean Gismonti in the head as they were driving off. No, well, Chris already, already got
1: three bullets in him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Chris
0: can. Chris has. Chris can nail the the bullseye.
1: Yeah, they know. all have like weird like, I don't know, sort of like powers that are kind of attached to their characters in some way. Their narrative function is is clear. Like uh, Ralph Severetto can make money. You know mm. what I mean? Like it's just like that's a thing. Yeah, it's like if they were magic cards. What's their ability? Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, a bit like that. You know what I mean? Polly <laughs> survives any encounter. You know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's fine. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: In the middle of this sequence, we break the sequence to go to Tony and Bobby at the diner, as Bobby's there to pick him up. And I love Bobby's whole vibe about the promotion. Yeah, I think it should have happened a long time ago. He's not like gracious or like oh, thank you, Tony. Oh, this is wonderful. He's like, no, this should have happened a while ago. Love that. Yep. Yeah, Bobby. Correct. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> Humor, though, that he, he has this delicious-looking steak and fries and Tony's... I <laughs> guess like, he has scrambled eggs and... Scrambled eggs, tomato slices, no oil. No oil. And he's just, like, starts immediately looking over. Bob's plate's picking. He has a couple pipes and has the waitress send another one over. Yeah, so listen, yeah. T- Tony's weight
1: has been made a thing of now. Yeah. yeah for sure. Oh, yeah. And still picks up the omelette before mm-hmm. the
2: steak
0: sandwich comes over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Hilarious exchange... This is pure comedy in the midst of what is happening at Officer Haydu's house. <laughs> Quasimodo predicted all this. <laughs> what? Quasimodo, Nostradamus and Notre Dame. Two different things completely. <laughs> oh, right. Nostradamus. Yeah. And Bobby keeps it going, the back thing with Notre Dame, the hunchback, and then there's your halfback, giving <laughs> your quarterback in Notre Dame.
1: Stupid fucking... <laughs>
0: <laughs> there must be a small part of Tony during this exchange that might be questioning the promotion at this moment. VA <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kills Barry Haydew takes his 20 bucks, stages it as a suicide. After Haydew infers something. Are you inferring... Yeah. That's, that's looking, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. looking for implying yeah. but. But he didn't take money from Julie Ruffalo to kill my dad who was bringing in a TV tray for me to watch TV and yeah we're still left with this mystery and that exchange where he says you know you're being set up wouldn't make a difference he wants you dead and Barry doesn't survive this encounter it's over there's your catharsis 20 bucks fucking loser cut to Carmela. Watching a news report of some random wise guy in Freehold, New Jersey, who got killed mm-hmm. in some kind of street exchange with a bunch of money, and Carmella just <sighs> rubs her face. She must think... Of every t- Anytime one of these mob shootings happens somewhere in, in the Garden State that she sees on the news, it has to evoke the same thought. Sure. Uh, and how often <laughs> is Tony still out when the 11 o'clock news is on? That's also
2: true. You know? Yeah. Right. One day she's the-
1: thinking it's going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: isolated alienated stuff
0: we go back to juniors murph breaks the news to tony and bobby again having to be cajoled and sped up because he's not doing it fast enough for their liking poor guy and junior cursing in front of bobby's kids yeah yeah we meet karen bobby's wife karen she's very sweet she's making juniors nothing but nice to him yeah she's like extremely pleasant Mm -hmm. Fucking grand central station (laughs) <laughs> sorry dear I like when Murph says we thought he had some kind of, I, I'm paraphrasing We had some kind of heart issue turned out to be gas <laughs> Junior's just this. why don't you broadcast on Joe Franklin tell the whole fucking tri-state area <laughs> Junior my kids I love Bobby Junior coming up dad he doesn't have cable that's <laughs> such a thing a little kid would be uh, upset about it in an old person's house that's just so funny karen is very sweet makes him a delicious looking plate of eggs and some kind of breakfast meat and toast look great I would, I would have that thanks dear but junior's not eating bobby and karen you know tony says get out of here i want to talk to my uncle going they're going through it it has to have been the nurse right yeah how much could she really have heard you better hope not nothing because you were involved in all you know every fucking one Tony gets mad, we linger on him for a little second, there's a moment of genuine anxiety on Tony, and he projects it back, how would you fall for that flirty shit, that's the point. Funny line, but also hypocrisy, because he gave her a, hey, how you doing look, when he walked in behind Junior, so he fell for that flirty shit too, and that's maybe why he's... And he still doesn't know what Danielle is. Right, exactly, yes. And Junior's line, again, very telling of what the exchange was with Danielle too, uh, time-wise, my instincts would have never failed me like that. Young Koo smiled at me, and birds started chirping. He's disappointed in himself. Hundred grand. Tony offers him for the properties on
1: Freeland Avenue. Which I, I don't know. At the time I'm watching this, I'm like, this seems reasonable. But Tony's probably gonna make a million dollars on this. <laughs> oh yeah, he's gonna make a killing on this property. Yeah,
0: uh, you know that. That's the thing is he's doing it as a favor to Junior long-term, letting Junior keep this property probably would have ended up being better for him, but Tony's... Sure. But, know, yep, Tony's taking advantage. hundred grand revenge. is nothing to sneeze at.
1: Right, and Junior needs the cash now. So, you, know. you get
0: you get a moment right before, in the way Dominic Cheney delivers the next line kind of implies that perhaps in a different circumstance he would never have taken the hundred grand for this property, but he's fucking, whatever, you know. Uh,
2: yeah, he's desperate.
0: Yeah, he's going to do it. And uh, he drops the end line on this scene. Which, if it doesn't make you feel a certain way, you got no no heart in you. I'm an old man, Anthony. An old man that's going to trial. Is there much else to say about me?
1: Oof. Mm. That's a sad line. Yeah. Evidently, Junior does not think this is going to go well. No. (laughs) Well, for
0: the simple reason, he's guilty. He's a part of a criminal conspiracy. Sure. He's guilty of everything they're charging him with. And the evidence is overwhelming. A whole forest in the Northwest must have given its life for this trial. Yeah, that's evidence against you that they're looking at, Junior. You're (laughs) You're in big trouble. He is in big trouble. In a Major Rico case, the feds don't like to lose those. This is the return on the investment that Neil Mink was talking about in in Season 2 with Tony. Right. Therapy. First therapy scene. Hello, Dr. Melfi in Season 4.
1: New haircut, I think. New
0: haircut. Yeah, looking good. Yeah. I'm a little depressed. Not the first time that word has been in, used in this episode. He's depressed and ashamed. He's depressed. He's depressed. He's having ice cream Sundays. People are doing drugs. Mm. We're hiding money. It's, it's a whole mess. She was on vacation. <laughs> yep, she was on vacation. Things are going good with Carmela. and eh, I don't know about that, Tony. I don't know about that. Sounds like a classic Sopranos therapy lie. But he's feeling very vulnerable. And gets into a very frank breakdown. My uncle snapped it into focus. There's two endings for a guy like me. Dead or in the can. 90% of the time.
1: Hmm.
0: Melfi, you've never spoken this, frankly. Surprised. And, God bless her heart, she goes for it. Anthony, why not give it up? Imagine what would have happened if Tony had just said, Yeah, you know, maybe. (laughs) Maybe it's time to get out of this thing. Right. Of course not, though. He's got an angle. No, the plan is to make it work for him. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He mentions some guy we don't know, she wouldn't know, and the reason you don't know him is because he lived into his 80s because he only gave orders through his son. So that's my plan. Rely only on blood. I've started doing thing. My What I've been dealt is my nephew. He's gotten his act together, the kid. And I've begun the process of bonding him to me. Hmm. So that's what the Sperry Haydu thing was about, whether or not... He actually, actually killed Dickie or not but this is about Tony securing his future and he's putting a lot of chips down on Chris not a good bet <laughs> he acknowledges briefly in the scene the
2: kids had some problems mm-hmm. but then he says oh he's gotten his act together yeah so what a portion of that is denial? What portion of that is, of course, what Tony doesn't know? Yeah. What he
0: hasn't seen that we, the audience, have seen in this episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we talked a lot in our season three retrospective and in the episodes about Chris in season three that he definitely has matured from season one. He he is a different kind of gangster. Sure.
1: Well, for Tony, Chris is the future of the family. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's really what's up. Yes, he's advanced at this point because Tony loves him and that's his nephew and all that stuff, but I think... Tony is, like, thinking about the future, he's looking around, and he wants someone that he made, you know? Yeah. He wants someone that is his person. Mm-hmm. Pauly's, and, and still are great, they're from the old days, you know what I mean? He had them when he came into power, you know? Uh... And there's no one else that he trusts, like he trusts Chris. He's thinking, somebody's going to have to continue on after me, whenever that is. Mm. I don't know that Tony's thinking, I'm going to live to old age. I don't know. But he's thinking, this thing's going to go on, and I want it to be Christopher. Yeah. yeah. And I, I
2: mean, everything comes to an end. That's maybe part of... That's another way of saying everybody's feeling vulnerable. Another way of saying I or we are worried about the future. Yeah. Um. And what did that look like, particularly after 9-11? Like, I don't know. But... It, it's a little scary it, maybe the maybe the importance of it hits people differently yeah
0: they go out with an interesting exchange here anthony why are you telling me this i don't know i trust you a little bit <laughs> interesting <laughs> trust we'll see Last scene of the episode, I, I like the scene. I don't know, we don't get much of Chris's mom in the show, but this is, I, I, I like this actress, and I like the, they built a, they did, a, these two actors did a good job building a rapport in a short amount of time. Like, I bought this relationship, it made sense. Oh,
1: this is the woman that raised Chris. Correct, yes, sure. yes.
0: Even down to, I even made a comment, and I, I have an eye for a lot of things when it comes to film and, and, and acting and theater and things like that. Very rarely do I notice things like set dressing, right? Yeah. The this fridge, every single piece on this fridge is perfect. From the AA quote to the pictures to the <laughs> to the dumb slogans that you pick up at gas stations or yeah. or street fairs and it's just like everything on that fridge is like, wow, they they fucking nailed this whoever designed this kitchen. The kid has a weight problem. Yeah. <laughs> he thought they didn't get him baptized, thought they knew everything. <laughs> it's fucking mouthwash. Come over here with that shit. <laughs> How does she not have peanut butter in the house? She must not enjoy it,
1: and she doesn't keep it after Chris left. That's a basic. <laughs> I agree. But, yeah, I agree. <laughs> what are we, animals? Come on. That's <laughs> a shelf-stable basic. Everyone has peanut butter. Peanut
0: butter, to me, is one of those things you have in your house, like milk or bread or, well, yep. not in my, I don't do the milk, I'm sorry. But,
1: but you know what? Even more than milk, milk, because milk goes bad fairly yeah. quick, quickly once it's open. Yeah. Peanut butter is just like, that's a dry goods cabinet thing. It's yeah. always there. She doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. What about what about grabbing a bu- like a case of peanut butter and just going at it with a spoon? Is that
2: okay?
0: Yeah. I I do it. That's yeah. America to me. Yeah. <laughs> I do it. Yeah. All right. I've I've been known to do it from time to time. Alright, we're we're telling the truth here. Oh yeah. So there's no lies. We're on truth this tellers show. here. We're not on the Sopranos podcast. I love her first line to him. Do you ever do anything like or one of her first lines, do you ever do anything like a normal person? There is a bell. He just <laughs> broke into her house <laughs> while she's sleeping. It's his mother, so it worked out. But like that must be a picture of Imperioli's real dad, or Imperioli himself that they do- that they made him look. Okay. I, I have to think it's one of the two. But right, all right. That he is just look yeah, like him that man. is an Imperioli in that picture. Okay. Yeah, it has to be. I mean that nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, he's a very distinct looking person. <laughs> they, there's nobody out there that they got well, a body double for. He's him. a good
1: looking guy, but he's, he's all nose. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Natural canopy. (laughs) (laughs) They have that thing, you know,
0: that weight problem, eight years old, good dialogue. Do you ever miss dad when he was in jail or since he's been dead? Chris is kind of melancholy here and happy about what he did, but he wants to... it's, It's a touching thing here that he does. She gets emotional and says, did I ever stab you with a stepfather? And Chris decides to leave when she doesn't have peanut butter. That's all right. I gotta go. You watch that Bailey's. She says, look who's talking. Mother knows her son. Yeah. He's uh, he's not clean and sober right now either. And he, as a moment, as he's about to walk out, the first few notes of World Destruction kick up, the song we started the episode with. Takes out Barry Haydu's 20, pins it on the fridge. This Bill... For all debts, public and private. Did this 20 cover the debt that Chris thinks he just paid off? I don't know. We don't know. But the uncertainty around the money is kind of the point, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And that's how we take this episode out. Is that why we end here? So so that we can
2: come back to this debt and I guess what Chris is trying to assign
0: meaning to here? Yeah. Yeah. I think so i mean that has to be it that's my interpretation of it yeah any final thoughts on for all debts public and private we got our first one from season four in the can
1: i mean i really enjoy the melfi scene uh especially this um idea of kind of like what's it all for mm-hmm. you know why don't you stop and, and i think anybody can ask these questions and try to take a look at their lives objectively and it's like what are you doing what are any of you doing? Mm. You know, uh, these are choices you've made. You've put yourself, you've put yourselves in prisons of your own design. You've allowed yourselves to be used by others, you know, and what's it all for? I, I don't know. It's, um, it makes for a really contemplative opening for a season. It's an episode that has, like, episode four or five energy. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they opened with it, and I mm-hmm. thought that was cool.
0: I agree. I also think that Season 4 on the whole gets categorized by fans who both like it and don't as a quote-unquote slow burn. So we're dealing with a little bit of a different tempo, perhaps, than we're used to, but there's a lot going on. I'm excited to cover it with you guys because there is a lot going on and... I think slow burns are one of those things that are great when they pay off. The question is, will this pay off? And all of the things that are starting here, we're clearly going to get more about Chris and Tony, Chris's drug issues. Yeah. Junior's trial is going to be a big conceit this season.
1: Yeah. I did have one other thing. Yeah. Um, just how much I, I truly dislike the Fed characters. Um, just because they're so dishonest in the way they go about things. I know this is a show about liars, but they're our liars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Whereas the gangsters wear two faces, right? They have their home lives and they have their gangsters' lives. (laughs) The feds literally wear two faces. Like, they actually, Mm. like, professionally disguise themselves. But we're supposed to believe one is better than the other. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, oh, well, feds can do that. That's part of their job. But when mobsters do it, it's gross and disgusting. You can't be two people at once. Well, you know, we we go back to our Hawthorne quote, right? Yeah. Which is which and who's to say? Uh, This season is unapologetically
2: more than any other season about money. And the other seasons have been about money in big ways, so they name this uh, they name this episode after what appears on, I'm sure, I think all currency. And the ending zooms in on Jackson's face, and it looks to me kind of like the seeing eyes of Nostradamus. Mm. And yes. the other thing about this last scene, it parallels the first scene in the episode breakfast scene with the fa- with the mother and the son. And Chris's mother is an embodiment of Carmela's fear. What happens when you get left behind? Mm. And she's wasted away. Mm -hmm. So Carmella's onto something. And how do you repay these more difficult debts that aren't part of a market value? Markets are like money. And how do we spend money here on property? What about non-market values like love and fidelity and trust? It's hard to build those back when you just lie. So what is Christopher trying to rebuild in this scene? And it doesn't really work. So I think we're working on a lot of different stuff here. And it made for... I think you guys are right that it's a, it's a quite a slow burn, but it's a powerful opening, and I'm so happy to tell on myself and tell my 20-year-old self, hey, why don't you shut the fuck up? You know what you're <laughs> talking about. Best show ever.
0: That's right. <laughs> well said, gentlemen, and with that, we're going to be back next time with a season four favorite of mine, a low-key favorite of mine from season four. We'll talk about why in the episode No Show. But that's next. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini, And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we'll see you next time for No Show. You to tell me you never pondered that? <laughs>